Thank you, Audra. Thank you for that. This is the promise I made to you. We appreciate that song today. Well, good to have you in God's house today. We're glad that you're here. We want to take our time now as we look into God's Word. If you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 5, we're continuing our series through the book of Mark entitled, Join the Journey. What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And that's what Mark lays out through his book with the unexpected turns and things that the disciples will experience. Ultimately, Jesus is calling us to join the journey with all of the things that we face in our life as well. Uh, so we're going to read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. I've worn my kind of my festive trunk or treat tie today. I don't want to call it a Halloween tie. That sounds, you know, terrible, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, this is always a favorite time of year for me. I was born in the month of October, so I love anything that happens in October. But uh, just a special time uh, to celebrate tonight. We always try to give an alternative in our community to folks about uh, celebrating uh, a different aspect of this fall festival or fall season. And so it's a, it's a wonderful time, and I, um, I love the opportunity to do that. Let's stand together now. We're going to read Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And even though it is a Halloween season... It's ironic I'm going to be doing a sermon on a demon today, but that is just strange to me, but um, I hope it'll be helpful to you because it's really not about the demon, it's about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and so we exalt him this morning. Uh, follow along now as I read in chapter 5, verse 1, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that had been often bound, he that had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now was the, there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And as they went out to see what it was that was done, and they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they saw it told how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. You may be seated. 
Now, if you remember from last week, Jesus, had got, Jesus and his disciples had just gotten off of a, uh, let's say, a very turbulent Middle Eastern cruise. And those disciples, when they stepped off that boat, were glad to put their feet on solid ground. They were seasoned disciples, seasoned fishermen, and now they're glad to be back on solid ground. They come to this town of Gadara. Gadara is a word which means mountain summit. It was where Romans set up their camps to guard over the whole region of northern Israel. And so it was a well-fortressed town. And... um, It is one of the ten Gentile provinces in the Decapolis. So it's one of the ten. And it is so similarly suited to the other ten that Jesus went in there to effect change. He went into, the best way to say it is, to Satan's territory. He's entering deep into Satan's territory to go against his armies. And whenever you get ready to expand your territory... Expect a demon to show up. That's what you see through the book of Mark. And when Jesus steps off the boat, there is this wild, hairy, gnarly, bloody, grotesque figure that runs toward him and comes up right into his presence. And when he gets right up next to him, he falls down at his feet and he begins to worship him. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine you're one of the disciples watching that. This guy's doing the right thing. He's worshiping. But they clearly know there's something wrong with the way he's worshiping. As the demon man worships, a conversation ensues between Jesus and the demon, almost at another level, another dimension, that the disciples didn't quite understand. And with that backdrop, I want to preach on the topic, the day three of the most extraordinary and curious beggars came to Jesus. The day three of the most extraordinary and curious beggars came to Jesus. I took that one word. It's one word in the Greek, but you'll see it in different ways used here. The word besought, the word um, begging, And I I saw this theme that I think Jesus is trying to bring out, or I should say Mark is trying to bring out here in his gospel. And so I want to look at these three beggars. Number one, I called the first set the demon beggars. The demon beggars. This covers verses 1 to 13. I won't read it again, but I want to say this about this demon experience with Jesus Uh, There is no detail in all of the Bible like this for any demon possession. This is the most detailed demon exorcism anywhere else in the Bible. And we're going to study it this morning, not so much to learn how to uh, learn about demons, but to reveal uh, Jesus Christ and his character, his power over the supernatural. Because last time it was power over the natural the storm. Now it's power over the supernatural. He's declaring himself as God everywhere that he goes. And he's conquering all the forces of chaos to prove it. That's why you have so much chaos through the book. And Jesus comes and solves the chaos. 
even outside of the scope of the nation of Israel. He's gone far now into Satan's territory. He's left the region of Israel, and he's gone into Satan's territory. Now Mark points out the pitiful picture of this possessed man. He is tortured by the bodily presence of hell. I want to show you a few things here just so you, you understand uh, this. First of all, he lives, he lives in absolute uncleanness. That's the worst thing a Jew would want in those days is to live in uncleanness. But this man is living in absolute uncleanness. Let me show you a few things here. First of all, he lives, he's possessed by a demon. Well, that's not the first one. The first one was the, uh, the fact that he isn't Gentile. He's unclean as a Gentile. Okay, that makes him unclean, just being a Gentile. Number two, he's possessed by an unclean fallen demon. It's a double uncleanness. Verse 2 and 3 says he lives in the tombs where the dead are kept. Clearly, where the dead are is unclean. Nobody lives in the tombs unless something is really wrong with them. But he's unclean living in the tombs. His tomb is near a pig farm along a mountainside of Gadara. And pigs are clearly unclean. He goes there often at night where the pigs are. This man's in a pitiful state. I, I was thinking about this all week. The only person in the Bible who rivals this uncleanness and mess of a life I can't think of anyone except one person comes close. I wonder if you could think of who that is right now. Who comes the closest to a man like this in all of the Bible? It, no one rivals his uncleanness, but someone comes close. And the only one I could think of was Job. Job comes the closest to this man of rivaling his uncleanness and his misery, his misery. There's no man in the Bible that has this misery except Job. But Job's not even touching his condition. I just thought that was worth noting. So not only does he live in an absolute uncleanness, but he, he demonstrates a bestial nature. A bestial nature. Verse 4 says, He had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. They used to be able to chain him up. They used to be able to keep this man under control and his wild nature, but not anymore. The demonic influence over his life grew. Maybe as more and more demons possessed him, he became supernatural in strength. I mean, who can take iron and rip it apart at a human strength? It's impossible. But these demons had superhuman strength and were able to rip apart the chains off of his body. No man could tame him, subdue him. That's a word that's used for containing wild and vicious animals throughout the Scriptures. There was no way to keep him under control. He ripped his clothes off. He went around with no clothes on. You say, how do you know that? Verse 15 says, he, when he was healed, he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Add to that misery, misery to misery, 
He had, the Bible said, continuously had sleepless nights. Always, always in the night. The man never slept. He never slept. Think about that for a minute. Day and night screaming in the tombs and in the mountains. No rest for this man. Sleepless nights continuously. Add misery to misery. Because of the demons, he mutilated himself by cutting himself. You know anybody who cuts themselves? People do that today. And these demons influenced him to cut himself. So just in summary, the demons took away his self-control. They took away his family. They took away his dignity. They took away his reputation. They took away his physical self-esteem and his psychological self-esteem. They took it all. They took it all. Why? Demons are bent on destruction. Demons are bent on destruction. They only serve their master, Satan. They are bent on destruction. They spend their life seeking, like their master, to steal, kill, and destroy. They spend their life doing that. They enjoy abusing you and abusing or getting you to abuse yourself. You may not be in such a serious situation because most of the demons, as I said, like to stay undercover. They don't like to reveal themselves. That's why they don't reveal themselves to us today. They're much more hidden. But in Jesus' day, they could not keep themselves from being revealed. That's why you see more of this in Jesus' day than any other time in the Bible outside of the book of Revelation. They love for you to abuse yourself. You say, well, I don't abuse myself. Well, did you ever listen to some of the things you say about yourself sometimes? I've heard all kinds of comments like this. I'll never be loved. I'll never be nothing. I came from nothing. I'll never be happy. I'll never be blessed. I'll never be free. I'll never get myself together. That's insanity. That's insanity. Stop the insanity. Why? Look at verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Okay, you're going to see here the only answer to people who do this to themselves, the only answer to people who have lost their family, who have lost self-control, who have lost their dignity, who have lost their reputation, who have lost their physical self-esteem, who have lost their psychological self-esteem, their only answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. And one day, this miserable wretch saw a man coming who he knew was Jesus, and he runs to him. And as soon as he runs to him and falls down and begins to worship him, the lead demon inside of him, the lead demon inside of him, takes over the conversation. Verse 7, he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. Now let's just 
tear down a few things here from that passage. First of all, I adjure thee. That's a court term. That's a court term used in a plea for judgment to the judge. I adjure you. A court term of pleading for judgment, for mercy. It's a begging. It's a form of begging in the courtroom. Look at it again in verse 10 in a different way. And he besought him. That's the word. He begged him. He begged him. That's a King James word. He begged him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Verse 12. And all the devils inside of him besought him, begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter him. Here these demons are begging Jesus. They're begging him. Startling. When they beg Jesus, they invoke one of the highest names for God. That's amazing to me. We know who you are. The Son of the Most High God. Now think about that for a minute. To his point, to Mark's point in the gospel, only demons to this point in the scriptures of the book of Mark have recognized Jesus as the Son of God. Only demons have recognized Jesus was God. Demons are more ready to accept the person and work of Christ than his own disciples. Master, don't you care? Teacher, rabbi, son of God, I don't know. The disciples aren't even ready to call him the son of God. But I'm telling you, every time he comes to a demon, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. It's an amazing, amazing thing to reflect on. As Christians, when we witness, we even try to pe convince people that He is the Son of God and that you will answer to Him one day for your life and that you need to prepare for that day. You need to come under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and live a life that's honoring to Him. But so many people, when you tell them that, I told a man that just the other day. I was at lunch with him, and I, I shared the gospel with him. And I said, he's God. And here's his plan of salvation for you. And he said, you make a really strong argument. You make a really strong argument. I did make a strong argument. It was built on the word of God. But he didn't say he was the son of God. A lot of people will tell you you make a good argument, you make a strong argument, but he is the son of God, the son of the most high God, the most high God. That's an interesting statement. This is innate in every created being, supernatural or natural. Every created being, supernatural or natural, man or demon, Religious sociologists even admit this. Universally, they agree. They have found even in primitive societies, every tribe, every nation, every culture, whether they are animists or polygamists, no matter how many gods they have, there is irrefutable and irrevocable, there is this irrefutable and irrevocable idea of one chief God within all their gods. And this is their most high God. Now, we know him to be Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We know that from the Word of God. Otherwise, we'd never know that. But isn't it interesting? Every culture has a high God. 
They may have thousands of God, but they always got one that's the chief. Every created being has that in their, in their soul, in their psyche. And demons know this. And it terrifies them. It terrifies them. They know it's not good for them. They say to him, what, 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 have, what have we to do with you? What does that mean? What have we to do with you? Let me tell you what that means. That means this. They know they're on the clock. They know they're on the clock. That's what it means. They know and have a mortal fear of Jesus Christ and the final judgment to come. And that final judgment will be once for all. They know this. And then their torturing of people will be over forever. They know that. But they know it's not yet. They know it's not yet. And this is their argument. Because they adjure God, God the Father, to witness this very moment with Jesus. The demons, as does Jesus, knew all things of the judgment were in the Father's hand. And the Father had appointed a time, and the demons are reminding Jesus, what do you have to do with us so early? Our time has not come yet. It's not here yet, and, and by the authority of God who we've adjured, your dad says so. Don't torment us. We have nothing to do with each other yet. Jesus knows that. But Jesus also knows it's time for this poor, wretched, suffering and possession of this man to cease. It may not be your time for destruction, demons, but it is your time to cease from destroying this man. So the demons, which is absolutely amazing, this is even in the Bible, begin to negotiate with him. They negotiate with the Son of God. Okay, you want us to let him go? You want us to come out? We have an offer. Jesus demonstrates his authority over him by first saying, what is your name? That's the way they demonstrate authority in the first century, to know a person's name. The demon answers in submission to the authority of Christ. We are legion. Now, legion is a Roman term. It is a word which represents an army, a Roman army up to 6,000 men. It doesn't have to be 6,000, but it can be up to that many for a legion. We are legion. Say, so does that mean there's 6,000 demons? I don't know if that means it's exactly 6,000 demons. I do know that when the pigs ran down into the water and the demons possessed them and they violently went and drowned themselves, it said there were 2,000 of them. So I would say there was anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 demons in this man. Just let that settle in your head for a minute. We are legion. Think of that term for a minute. We are legion. We are many. We are many. What does it mean? We're, we're regimented. We're united in force. At our behest of Satan, we are to uproot and destroy whatever our orders are. <clears throat> we are trained. We are skilled. We are organized. We are demonic soldiers marching in order. 
That's interesting about Satan. Satan will try to mark and infect this church with a spirit of disorganization. But I will promise you this, Satan is never disorganized. He is always highly organized. And the demons do his bidding. These demons have a strategy. It's a strategy given to them by Satan. Even though there they are groveling at the knees of Jesus in supposed worship under the authority of Christ, they say, we don't want to leave this territory. We beg you, don't make us leave this territory. Let us go into the pigs and escape. They're going to go into the pigs. They like to possess a living creature. Go into the pigs, drown the pigs, and then go off to some other area to possess another body. Their strategy is over the territory. Again, that's the point of the book of Mark. Jesus is evading Satan's territory, and they want to stay in this territory. See, it may not be you ultimately Satan's after, but he does want your territory. He does want your territory. He wants the people you influence. He wants the people you touch, the people you bless. He wants the people you deliver through the power of God. He's hoping you don't ever find the purposes of God for your life. And the truth is, you'll never find the purposes of God for your life locked up in a tomb, cutting yourself, living with dead folk. There's got to be something in your spirit. I'm I'm coming out of this. I don't want to live in this cave. I want to get to Jesus. I I, want to give my life to him. I want to live for him. I want to get get, get out of my way. I'm going to get to Jesus. Did you see the beauty of that? Jesus gives permission to go into the pigs and drowns the 2,000 pigs. That's what the Bible says. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but can you imagine who all showed up at this? I'm taking a guess. The animal rights activists. PETA, animal cruelty, they had big old signs, animal cruelty killed 2,000 pigs. Jesus killed 2,000 pigs. Okay, now I've told you the story. Let me say a couple things to you, okay? Hold on to that, all right? Number one, demons are not omnipresent. Demons are not omni-anything. They're not omnipresent. They're only in one place at one time. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't know everything. They can't read your mind. They can't read your thoughts, what you're thinking, and they're not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. They're limited by Jesus himself, and they've only got so many bags of tricks, so many tricks in their bag, if you will, But compare that then to Jesus. Jesus is sovereign and he is omni-everything. He's omni-everything. You never need to sweat demons. You need to be wise and sober because they prowl about seeking whom they may devour. But the Bible says the only thing you need to do is be on the alert and be wise to their devices and be sober-minded in your life. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You should never be afraid of a demon. Never sweat a demon. 
Okay, what about those 2,000 pigs? Killing innocent pigs. Why would Jesus allow them to? Go into the pigs and drown them. That's a good question. And I've been asked that question. So I thought I'd answer it here for you today. Okay, here's my answer. 2,000 pigs or you? 2,000 pigs or you? Which is more valuable? 2,000 pigs or you? I'm telling you this about Jesus. He will always pick you. He will always pick you. There is a human being here. And if you were in that situation, you'd feel very much the same. Here is a human being, and he's made in the image of God. Pigs are not made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. But this man is made in the image of God, and he's being destroyed by demons. And Jesus' attitude is, whatever it takes, I'm going to redeem this man. I'm going to redeem him. And his compassion, the compassion of Jesus, moved him to destroy 2,000 pigs for one human being. One human being. That's wonderful to know that Jesus would allow 2,000 pigs to be destroyed for one person. But what's even more wonderful to know is that Jesus wouldn't destroy 2,000 pigs. He would destroy himself to reach you because God the Father spared not his own son and gave himself up for us all. He didn't just kill 2,000 pigs. He also took his own life. Nobody took his life. He said, I take my life. No man takes my life. I lay it down by myself. He took his life for us and became a sacrifice for our sin. It's a beautiful thought to think that Jesus even destroyed himself for us. And if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my only hope. It's not my good works. It's not what I'm trying to do. It's not I've done a lot of good things. I'm trusting in the mercy and the grace of God who died in my place for my sin that was put upon him on the cross. It's beautiful. Okay, let's go on. That was the first beggar, the demon beggars. Number two, the city beggars. The city beggars. <clears throat> I spent a lot of time on that point, number one. But that lays the groundwork for two and three, so they won't be as long. The city beggars, verse 14 says, And they that fed the swine, <clears throat> that would be the workers, fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. They went all over the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Why would you be afraid? The man is now acting in his right mind, but they were afraid. <clears throat> and I'm going to need some water. They're fearful. I'm thirsty. All right. <clears throat> 
the hired workers of the pig flee to tell the owners <clears throat> of these pigs and tell the whole city what happened. They come back and they check it out. They check out Jesus. They check out the demon. They check out their 2,000 pigs that have been drowned. They look and they see the demon sitting and clothed in his right mind. Now, we don't know all of the reason they were afraid, but I do happen to wonder. I wonder what it was like for them to lose 2,000 pigs in their income. Because those Roman soldiers in that region sure like their pork. And now that pork is gone. Unusable. So these owners have lost their income. They look at the demon, they see the demon's gone, the demon, demoniac, they see the demons are gone, and the man is changed. <clears throat> and they are fearful. Now put it together, okay? Because of fear, the demons beg Jesus to go into the pigs. Because of fear, the city begs Jesus to go away. Okay, this is the theme of Mark 5. The city begs Jesus to go away. Now, I'm sitting there reading this. I'm just meditating on it. And I'm looking at that and studying it. And I said to myself, why would anyone be afraid of a raging, savage being that they were terrified of, changed into a calm, sedate, and rational person sitting there clothed in his right mind. Why would anyone be afraid of that? If it, if it happened in your town, you'd be celebrating. If our community had a bust on 100 drug dealers and murderers, we'd be celebrating in this city. We'd be saying, good, crime's been put down, drug traffickers off the street, <clears throat> hundreds of murderers locked up. Man, we'd be celebrating that. Wouldn't you be celebrating that? That's, that's an incredible, that's a parallel. I was trying to think in my own mind. They should be celebrating, but they're not. They're afraid. And I want you to get this down because I don't want you to miss the point of the passage. And I'm getting to it real close here right now, okay? The answer, why they're afraid, is the same reason the demons are afraid. The same reason the demons are afraid. Say, what is that, Pastor Rob? Why are the demons afraid, and why are the city people afraid? Here's the answer. It's the presence of the holy. It's the presence of the holy. And when the holy one is manifest... In the midst of unholy people, the only appropriate and human response is dread, terror, and fear. Remember when Peter had the great catch of fish? In Luke chapter 5, he ran to Jesus, he fell down before him, and the Bible said he said to Jesus, depart from me. I am a sinful man. See, the presence of holy. When Peter became aware that he was in the presence of holy and he knew how unholy he was, he fell down at his feet and said, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. 
So the city begs Jesus once more, depart, depart. They're scared to death of Jesus. Jesus, would you just leave? Please, please just leave. Please leave. They beg him to go away because they realize they're in the presence of the Holy One. They don't want to submit to this Holy One. They don't want to bow before him. They don't want to receive him as Lord and Savior. They just want him gone. That is an amazing response to me of our culture. That's exactly the response of the culture. They begged him to go away. Is there a chance that you are here and you heard what Jesus has done for the last three weeks maybe in your life or the last three months of your life? And Jesus is calling you maybe to give up something in your life. Maybe God's been working in your heart over something and he's asking you to give something up. But in your heart, you're saying, Jesus, please, just go away. Go away. You're rattling my cage. You're you're, you're making me feel very uncomfortable. Would you just go away? Please, Jesus, just go away. Maybe you're in a relationship that does not honor him. And he's telling you, break it off. Break it off. And in your heart, you're saying, Jesus, please, please, just just go away. Maybe Jesus is tapping on your soul. And he says, I want to save you. But you think back to what your dad told your mom while you were growing up. Let's leave God out of this house. And you're afraid if you did receive Jesus, you don't know what in the world you'd say to your dad about making him your Lord. And so because you're so afraid of your dad, Jesus, just go away. Go away, Jesus. It's not, not right now. Right now is not a good time. Let me tell you something, okay? When you do that, when you do that in your spirit, Jesus will leave you, okay? When you, when you have a, a spirit like that, I mean, literally, if you're saved, he doesn't leave you, okay? But, but I, I want you to understand it in terms of what you're doing. He will leave you. He will, he will say, in a sense, okay, you don't want my spirit striving with you? You don't want my spirit speaking to you? I'm gently coming into your heart. I'm meek and I'm lowly, and I want to just talk to you about that. You don't want to talk about it. The only scary part to that is, as far as I know with this city, he got on a boat when they requested him to leave, and Mark records that he never came back again. Get out of the city. Okay. Gets on the boat, he leaves, and there's never record anywhere in the Bible that he went to Gadara again. scary thought basically said my work's done here my work's done here let's go the city beggars got what they wanted the demons got what they wanted let's go on number three and i'll close this up here the healed demoniac beggar the healed demoniac beggar 
should just say the healed man beggar, but I'll go with the healed demoniac beggar. Verse 18, and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed, begged him. There's the word beg again, okay? That's just a King James word for prayed. He didn't pray right there, okay? He begged him that he might be with him. What a beautiful line. By the way, uh, when he called his disciples, uh, just write this down, meditate on another time. He chose his disciples to be with him. And that's what this demoniac, this healed demoniac said, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want, I want to go with you. Uh, Jesus said, how be it? Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for you and had, hath compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. I love this. I mean, I was struck by this. The one who was demon-possessed started begging. All three of these groups started to beg Jesus, but he begged Christ that he might go with him. <laughs> the other said, get out of here. The other said, let us go in the pigs and get away from you, Jesus. But this man, who is now restored to Jesus Christ, says, I want to go with you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you lead, I'll go. That's where I want to be, Jesus. I want to be with you. Oh, please, please let me go with you. But where Jesus gave permission to the demons to go into the pigs, and he gave permission to the city beggars to ask him to leave, and he left to this restored follower of Christ. He said no. Don't, don't you get discouraged when Jesus tells you no. <laughs> don't you get discouraged over that. No, you can't go with me. Why? You're my only voice here now. You're my only voice. I went through a storm to get you. I went through a storm to get you. And now you're my only voice. You stay here. I'm leaving, but you stay here. And the first place I want you to go is I want you to go back home. Go back home. Isn't that beautiful? That word friends there is broader than just good friends. It also can mean relatives and family members. I've used that before and taught you that before, but I'm just throwing it out there again. He just wasn't going back to his friends. He was going back to his family. <laughs> Because Jesus restores families. He restores families. So he's like, go back home. Go back to your friends. Go back to everyone in town and tell them how I had compassion on you and saved you. So he took Jesus' word to heart. But he not only went to Gadara and his hometown and all of his friends, the Bible says, he published it. What's it say there? It published it in Decapolis. He went to all 10 cities. Jesus said, go back to your hometown. He said, I'll go back to my hometown, and I'll go to the next city, and the next city, and the next city, and I'll publish it. That's an old King James word. It just means I, I will proclaim it. I will cry it out. That's the word. It's a town crier. I'm going to go to every town and tell them what you did. Before he was crying in pain. Now he's crying in joy. 
I'll tell everybody what you did for me. Before it was all pain and suffering. Now he has the cry of joy. You have the cry of joy in you. The cry of joy in you for what Jesus has done. Who are you telling with a cry of joy? The mighty power of God. Is there, is there someone on your heart? See, I always, I always ask God, put somebody on my heart this week. D.L. Moody used to make sure he didn't let a day go by where he didn't witness. I, always, I haven't got that good yet. But I did say to the Lord, give me one a week. Give me one a week that I could share my faith with. Clearly, the gospel. Not just, oh, God's good. No, Jesus died for you. He died on a cross for your sin. That's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. The mighty power of God that you would share, that you would have cries of joy. Your heart would be ready to proclaim a cry of joy to someone. That's a beautiful thing, and that happens. Nobody has to, nobody has to convince you of that. It's just in you. It's just in you. So let's do that. Let's be this kind of beggar. Let's be this kind of beggar. Don't be the kind that says, Jesus, please leave. Don't, don't deal with my heart over that anymore. Be the kind that cries with a cry of joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I pray you'd speak to hearts here today. Someone here that's not saved, doesn't know you as Lord. Never fallen on their knees like this demoniac. Lord, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. No, no, I put you here. You be my voice. Tell them what I've done. Tell them I've had compassion on you. Tell them I saved you. Oh, you know I will, Lord. You know I will. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity to represent you, to offer the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that can restore dignity, restore families, restore self-esteem, restore everything. Lord, we're so grateful for that today, and I pray you'd make this room full of people they cry for joy about what Jesus has done for them. I lift it up to you now and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this invitation song. There's a need in your heart to come today. The altar's open. Let God speak to you. you need to be saved. Maybe stirred in your own life, whatever it may be, I lift it up before you now. Let's let's sing.